fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Welcome to another edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. It's a very special fun drive edition, and we have a special guest who I'd like to introduce himself. Go ahead, sir. I'm LeVar Stoney, the mayor of the great city of Richmond. Welcome once again to our show. It's your second time. Yes, glad to be back. All right, we're happy to have you. Jesse? Yeah, we also have a second special guest, Melissa. And, I know. Yeah. I figured you would introduce her. Oh, I could introduce her? (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm excited now. (laughs) And that is Eva. Could you tell us about yourself, Eva? Yes, I'm Eva Colon. I am a senior policy advisor to Mayor LeVar Stoney, um, focused on youth initiatives. And why are we here today, Jesse? For so much fun stuff. Always. Always. You've had an education funding strategy meeting with a lot of advocates in the room and different people from the community. There's been a resolution that went to city council asking the General Assembly to fully fund education. I think I saw you were scooping ice cream yesterday for for the meals tax. Expertly um, scooping ice cream. Yeah, expertly (laughs) speaking. Perfectly. I'm really good at it, actually. So (laughs) got to put some elbow grease into it. And then I think we also saw you had an opinion piece in the Virginian pilot. And I've seen marketing and advertising really boosting the meals tax as part of an education funding strategy. Correct. And of course, we can't forget the hashtag more, better, stronger. So what are all of these things and how do they tie together? And what, what is the initiative that you guys are working on right now with education funding? Well, you know, when I ran for mayor, I said I'd be a mayor focused on public education, ensuring that our, we can create positive outcomes for our children. And uh, what you've seen over the last few weeks is just us leaning into our role as a uh, as, as an education mayor. And um, whether it's what we did earlier this year and when we um, supported the investment in new school facilities here in, in the city, building three new schools before 2020 that kids will be able to walk uh, walk in those doors uh, in, in September of 2020, or whether it's our work on out-of-school time and focus on after-school programs, you know, uh, being able to put a million dollars in our budget or more uh, and leverage that to get six million dollars from the private sector with non with nonprofits to uh, to to create out of school time opportunities, high quality out of school time opportunity where uh, elementary school, middle schools over before 2020. Um, this is just a a all together is our focus on the the whole child. 80 percent of the time, the child spends is outside the classroom, not inside the classroom. But I think we've shown Mr. Cameron and the school board uh, that we are partners in this in this fight. Uh, they have undergone enormous, uh, many, many, many years of neglect. Um, and I would say uh, it's been educational malpractice. You know, I mean, you look at the, the numbers at the moment where this, whether it's the dropout rate or the literacy rate in Richmond Public Schools, this didn't happen yesterday under Mr. Cameron's watch. It happened years and years ago. When you have parents who can barely read, then you will have kids who can barely read. That's just the bottom line. And uh, I wanted to show from day one that whoever the superintendent was gonna be, that I was gonna be a partner with them. And I remained that partner. Uh, with the schools and uh, with Superintendent Cameras. And so uh, this is just our effort to to show that we are going to put children first in the city, and that's why I hired Eva Colon. <laughs> I was going to ask, Eva, what is your role in all of this? Is a <laughs> cat herder sometimes? <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> I can relate. <laughs> no, um, so a lot of this is kind of being the person who's keeping, waking up in the morning and going to sleep at night thinking about 
children and youth in our city. Mayor's plate is very, very full. Um, when we think about what the one Richmond priority means to the mayor, there's a lot that goes into that. Education is absolutely one of four key priorities in that vision, um, but he needs somebody kind of driving the bus. And so I that's where I am. I work collaboratively across all the different partnerships that we have with out-of-school time. Um, I'm also working, obviously, with Compact Team and the Compact Quarterly, uh, and then basically being the person in the office who's making sure that we're coming back to these commitments and following through on them as well. And just... I, to some degree, just wonking out a little bit, just being, 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 the, being the house nerd um, is part of this, too. Reading a lot of journal articles, I'm assuming. You are. Work busy. Be. <laughs> I keep her busy. Richmond has a lot of needs. We know this, mm -hmm. right? So how do legislators set their agenda and how do they handle distractions? <laughs> do legislators, as in the city council or members of the General Assembly? Well, the General Assembly, General I think, Assembly. mostly, because I know there's a lot of things in our legislative package right now, and I think that there's a lot of people within the city that need a lot of different things, and how do legislators manage their own agenda and figuring out how to hit all of the priorities, and how do we, I think, on the other side of it as people, make sure that it stays on their table? Yeah. How do well, you well, deal with that? Well, well first, let's, let's just talk about distractions real quick. Yes. Uh, these members of the legislature, uh, the Senate and the House, 140 of them, uh, just because we have something that might be provocative on our legislative agenda doesn't mean that they don't have priorities that they need, they need to focus on. Mm -hmm. If I was a legislator, I would walk in with my agenda already laid out for my constituents. What goes on in Richmond, what goes on in Chesterfield, what goes on in, in Loudoun on their legislative agenda is not going to bother my work. And so when I hear, as I heard a few weeks ago, when it came to uh, asking for the ability to decide on Monument Avenue uh, to remove those monuments and say, oh, we can't put that on the legislative agenda because it's going to take away from our approach on public education. That's just dead wrong. I think uh, legislators, even though they only come to work for, what, three months of the year, uh, <laughs> two months sometimes, they are able to multitask. And to say that we were going to add a, a, a measure to allow us to have the right to decide what monuments should we should we stand up here in the city of Richmond would would also affect our advocacy on public education is hogwash. It's just hogwash. I mean, just like our friends on city council have to multitask, our friends who are in the legislature have to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. To to think that we sent 140 people down to Richmond to to focus on one thing only. <laughs> Come on now. What's that? Come on. They don't get paid very much, but they do get paid to multitask. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, we can walk, we can chew gum and run at the same time. There we go. That's right. Sorry, I, did I take that in a whole other direction nope. for you? I don't know if I trust myself <laughs> with that. <laughs> you took it right to the uh, I'm just saying. perfect direction. <laughs> so what we are going to focus on, though, we're going to bring attention to, is the fact that they have been underfunding public education for a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And they need to live up to their constitutional obligation to fund the standards of quality. Even their own people, even the Department of Education, the Board of Education have said they do not fund the standards of quality to a tune of $600 million. That it really would take a billion dollars. But we're, we're asking to meet the true cost of funding basic public education in the Commonwealth of, uh, Commonwealth of Virginia, that's $600 million. That means they're shortchanging Richmond. That's just one locality we're pulling out of the 132 that are out there. They're shortchanging Richmond by $10 million a year from what they were doing a decade ago. So who's left to pick up that slack? The city of Richmond. And I think we've been doing a decent job. When you look at our numbers, unadjusted numbers, you show that we have been providing $30 million to public education over the last decade from the time the, since the recession hit. And while the Commonwealth of Virginia, $10 million less. And so here's the thing. We know we still have to fund 
uh, education. We got, we got to put more funding into education. But all we're asking for is that the Commonwealth of Virginia step up. And you think about Richmond. We've talked about this before. We are disproportionately affected by this because we don't get any funding for the buildings that they occupy in downtown Richmond. Mm-hmm. You know, they not, they're not paying a pilot, payment in lieu of taxes. No. Even if they... Here's the thing. I'm not going to beg for scraps. We're going to want the whole thing, the whole enchilada for all the localities. But (laughs) even if they just actually funded the pilot, right, can you imagine how much money we could be pushing into public education here locally? I don't know, Eva, you have anything to add to that? I mean... I mean, you covered all the bases, but I think in terms of kind of, again, the nerd numbers, um, we're looking at the city, within the realm of the city or within the city lines, we have over what would basically, if we tax state property like we tax our homes, um, we're looking at upwards of $35 million a year that we're losing in revenue. Um, part of this is because we have tax exempt property on really beautiful pieces of land that are very high value and they don't pay anything for this. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this, though, is warehouses and things that are not occupied during the year. Um, and so that's a big piece of it is saying, okay, the state has dis- disproportionately affected Richmond in this. But as we did the research over the summer, I think there was a moment that of coalescence where we looked at each other and we we're like, this isn't just Richmond. Yeah. This is everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. And like the state has managed to say it's our fault, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is really frustrating because if you look at the history of public education over the 20th century, there's a pattern to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been sitting here fighting with each other trying to figure out, you know, are we prioritizing a pothole or a textbook? And the reality is we should be talking to the state. And so I'm excited to see the mayor's championship of this cause. And I think it is going to take all hands on deck, not only in Richmond, but across the Commonwealth to really raise the alarm for this one. But we have a, a fun session ahead of us. So we've gotten the, the Commonwealth's attention, mm-hmm. but we want to bring that the, we're going to bring the attention to them. So on December 8th, we're marching down from MLK, uh, MLK Junior Middle School all the way to Capitol Square. And we're asking not just our friends here locally in Richmond, but friends from all across the Commonwealth of Virginia to join us in the march for more. More money for better schools and stronger students. That's exciting Across the state. Across the state. That's big. Mm -hmm. That is big. So these are mostly, of course, these are state efforts. We're asking the state to help. What do you view as the city's role in trying to fund construction, maintenance, and operation costs outside of what we already are contributing? Yeah, yeah. I think... um, we demonstrated our, 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 our efforts, I think, earlier this year when we asked those who visited our city and those who choose to dine out every evening, like myself, to pitch in just a little bit more. And, and we asked for a cent and a half on, on a dollar, so it's like 50, what, 75 cents on a $50 meal or something. I, I'm not really good at math. Just eat in Richmond. We'll just eat in Richmond, and the money goes to building three new schools in the city. But we do recognize that there's still some schools out there that still need more attention. Yeah. I mean, we, we're, not, we're not ignoring that as well. And so I know I, by, uh, by obligation from the charter, I will be presenting a plan before January 1 on how we use our, uh, our dollars here in the city locally uh, to ensure that we actually fund a plan for new facilities in, in Richmond Public School, new or renovated facilities. Uh, I think that's necessary. Um, and I think, once again, this is a failure of the Commonwealth of Virginia because no more dollars are going to uh, the, the, the localities for facilities, facilities maintenance, or actually the construction of new facilities as well. But also, as we put emphasis on the facility, the, the, the actual structures, the physical structure, we have to really, I think the numbers these past couple weeks show that we have to focus what's going on inside the classroom as well because there's, there's definitely been a failure on that part. When we have the highest dropout rate 
in, in, the, in the Commonwealth or we have literacy rates this low, we have to focus on the realities that are occurring inside that classroom too. So not only do we have to uh, stand up facilities, we also have to focus on instruction and closing the achievement gap as well. Which includes the teachers. Oh, it includes the teachers, includes the nurses, the janitors, these folks who are, I mean, there's janitors and nurses who unfortunately are on food stamps or are on benefits because, as you all know, standards of quality and the formula, formula through the recession, they kind of cut that back. And so the monies that we were getting from the state to fund uh, quality janitors and bus drivers and things of that nature no longer get those dollars. And the city has had to pick up the slack. And a big piece of this is why the mayor has come out so strongly in saying we need the Commonwealth to fund the true cost of education. Because the reality is our standards of quality have been amended over the years to kind of fit the budgetary constraints that the Commonwealth faces. And so they've changed what the standards are so that we can afford them. Um, Which is backwards. Right. And I really wish I could do that with, like, with my own personal finances. Um, <laughs> but I can't. And so I think that they should be held to the same standard I am uh, when I manage my bank account. But the big piece of that is thinking about what the true costs are. And when we think about kind of how much the Commonwealth has been pushing this to the back burner, year after year, folks have tried to commission JLARC studies to, to actually assess the cost of education, if the standards of quality are accurate. And they've refused the opportunity to, to do that. Um, so when we say the true cost, we're looking at recommendations from the State Board of Education to the General Assembly saying that if we were to do what we need to do for Virginia's children, we'd be spending about $600 million a year just with existing standards of quality. Um, but that doesn't account for bringing teacher salaries up to the national average, which would be easily another billion dollars, um, or looking at all these other things that aren't accounted for, including facilities. Um, the state stopped funding localities through a grant program in 2010 to support with facilities and construction and maintenance. The true cost is kind of this big amorphous number that we don't actually know, but we're calling upon the Commonwealth to do their job and figure it out and then fund it. I think about this. We are in what you would consider a boom time after the recovery from the recession. Right, we're roughly 10 years into a recovery, uh, the longest recovery we've ever had. And yet we've kind of, you know, just tiny little bits and crumbs we've added to public education statewide, uh, but we haven't really done what I think is necessary. The big issue was Medicaid expansion. That's off the table. Now we get to choose what the next issue the, the General Assembly has to tackle. And I think it has to be public education because if you could continue to believe this myth about uh, Virginia is great in public education, hmm. all these other states are passing us by. And if you were a kid like I was growing up in a low-income family, the, the, the disparity between what your education, your opportunities are compared to that person who may live in McLean or somewhere in Fairfax or Loudoun County. It's the one of the biggest gaps in the country. So either they can continue that that gap, the, 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 the increasing the size of that gap, or they're going to do something to stop it. So I hope they do something soon. So one of the pieces of local funding that's come recently into the press, I think it was actually even on the, the front page today of the, the Times-Dispatch, was Superintendent Cameras's uh, $0.10 cent increase to the property tax rate, which would be going not even back toward what the highest point in Richmond has been, but it's moving back in that direction at least and going directly to fund different costs of education, as he pointed out, along with having different rebate programs possibly for people that wouldn't be able to afford that so there wasn't a negative harm on the low-income people. So all of that word blurb to say, how do you see property tax increases or even looking at tax increases coming into this local piece of funding as you're putting together this plan for January 1st, but also just to get to the goal of the more, better, stronger student? You know, I um, I first want to say that what Mr. Cameras did was, was bold, but he was, he was calling out what 
you know, what his, his, uh, his school system needs, and that is they need more dollars. And we, we agree they need, we, they need more dollars. Um, and in, in Richmond, uh, there's only what so many tools right here we have at our disposal, mm-hmm. right? Thanks, uh, but some people believe you can cut yourself into funding public education. You can't do that because you end up cutting the programs that some of the families and students depend on. So we're not going to do that. Number two, you can raise taxes. That's on the, that, that can be on the table. But you know what? What I saw from the city council was a no right outside the gate. Um, but there are localities out there who are doing that. Norfolk is doing it. They did it this past budget cycle. Uh, it can be done. But it, it's going to, I do worry about taxing, uh, putting too much of a burden on some of our families who live in, some of our seniors who are living in Churchill or Barton Heights. or think, just, th- I just think about that. Number three, you can also go to the state and ask them to, to fund the true cost of public education, which is what we're going to do. And number four, you can actually expand your economy here locally. That means leaning into growth and economic development. Now, when it comes to a 10 cent, a 10 cent tax increase, uh, my hope is that we can have a discussion about that education compact. But right now, it sounds like a non-starter for many of the people on city council. However, I would like to ask everyone around the city council, though, like, do you support public education? All hands will go up. Do you support funding public education? All hands will go up. Then how are we going to do it then? All hands will go down. uh, Because Mr. Cameras has a plan. (laughs) Mr. Cameras has a strategic plan. Yeah. And it's going to cost some money. Yeah. But here's the thing. To think that we, no locality in this commonwealth can turn around, uh, can get their school districts the millions and millions of dollars that they really, really do need right away. So that sort of in- injection and then make that reoccurring over the next decade, 20 years. I just don't think any locality can really afford that at the moment. Right. However, what, I ch- what I'm going to do is respond to Ms. Ellen, Ellen Robertson's paper uh, that we should put together or review budgeting models that are used in other localities around the state. We're going to review those. And I think we need to give uh, Mr. Cameron's and the school system uh, a dependable view of what sort of monies they will have year after year. Instead of going to the city council and begging and begging and begging, they can at least predict what they're going to have year after year. I am open to, I'm open to sharing the growth of the city with schools. So this like uh, Ellen Robertson response of having all these local funding plans, is this, I don't know, like maybe what's talked about at the October 29th compact meeting? There will be an education <laughs> compact meeting. Speaking? I sent a letter. Uh, Ms. Robertson and her uh, paper asked for us to uh, submit a paper on the on October 15th, or a, a, a model on the 15th, a review. We chose to present that model on the 29th because we get the school board and the city council all in one place. So if I were you, I know you will be there, Jesse. You are, you are always there uh, typing away on Twitter and whatnot. But be there on October 29th uh, as we talk about these different funding models and uh, discuss, have a review with uh, our members of the city council and the school board. Here's the looming question that we've already heard people give feedback or or criticism. I'm sure people will call it criticism. How do these efforts fit into the school modernization referendum? As I said earlier, we are obligated by the charter to present a plan uh, on how we go about modernizing schools. And uh, we're going to live up to that obligation by January 1. And so we're going to take a look at our future debt capacity and what we can use that for. Um, and uh, we're going to lay out a plan. The plan won't mean that we can f- uh, build 20 sc- new schools like, you know, in 2020. That's just not going to be able That's not possible. Right. But you're going to have to systematically go through each and every school, see what the needs are, whether there's renovation uh, to modernize or uh, actually a new school. I'm very excited that we have three schools on the way, you know, two elementary schools and a middle school. That was not the case when we entered 2018. That was not uh, that was not 
at all on, 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 the, on the table. Now we have three new schools. We got to do more. And we will present a plan by January 1. And a big piece of this is that I've heard the same criticism, mm. but I think a, it's really important to remember that that is this, the charter change is now just another bullet point on the mayor's commitment to education right. and schools. So meals tax in, um, went through before the charter change was determined to have happened. Yes. Right. Um, so that was not a response to the referendum. It was just it's something else that we're doing. So there's a lot of this was in motion a long time before before the be referendum. Yeah, I have to about. say we were already doing that before the referendum was even approved by the general assembly and so uh i mean referendums will come that's just you know some people are looking for attention looking for uh or seeking relevancy if that's the way they choose to do that then go go right ahead i'm going to continue doing my job as the mayor of this city and um that's all i think the people of this city expect and i think that's what ultimately the people of the city want you don't really need um legislation to do it yep. you ran as education mayor and you said you'd do it and you've been doing it I, I, thank you so much. May not be moving at the speed of light that people apparently expect you to be doing it. <laughs> we all would love to be moving. I wish, man. <laughs> I but wish we had it. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're chipping away at it. But, you know, we know that there will be, you can't just chip away with a scalpel. You need an axe. And, yeah. you know, we've been using we the axe. To find the, you need to find the money in, in the seats of City Hall a little faster. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Getting out the cast. That's my line for the fast mic. The cushions, I'm sorry. They're, they're not Get in the them cushions. out of the cushions. The cushions, yes. <laughs> they're not there. They're not there. <laughs> well, um, do you have any plans uh, to partner with any local organizations to uh, further your work here? I'll let Eva talk about that because oh, she's sure. been leading the – yeah. Yeah, so we um, – so on the one hand, thinking about Virginia Educators United, the Richmond Education Association, Virginia Education Association, um, there's now a very broad chorus of voices saying that this is important. Now um, – from my experience working in the General Assembly and working on education advocacy over the years, it's become very clear that the most effective policy change happens when you have a broad coalition of people who reflect different interests. So if we were just all going as More Better Stronger, or if we're just all going as Red for Ed, we might not be as successful as if we are going at the same time with similar priorities. Um, so we are working in close contact with the educators who are doing organizing locally. That was a big um, mo motivator to convene the education advocacy conversation that we had on September 28th, was recognizing that there's lots of people doing this work. How can we signal boost the folks who are already on the ground doing like it? Like 70 people on a Friday night On meeting. a Friday night, I was going to say the same thing. On a <laughs> Friday night. That's phenomenal. That <laughs> we had food there, though. So okay, I was gonna say, we don't even get that many But they were there for the kids, not for the food. We didn't advertise the food. They did not advertise the last food. I was, I was pleasantly surprised when I showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I've organized for enough time enough time to know that food. A lot of passionate nerds out there like us. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a big piece of it is recognizing, and that was what came out of the July Education Compact Quarterly meeting, was saying, okay, we now are all at the table having this conversation as local leaders, but there are people who are doing this work right now and have been doing this work for a long time. So how do we ensure that we're listening and we're elevating and the voices that are already out there and then add in our unique perspective as municipal leaders to be able to, to either validate, verify, or support those efforts while also leading our own constituents that way as well. And Eva, I'll give a shout out to also, you know, the Robbins Foundation, the Community Foundation, uh, Next Up, YMCA, Boys and Girls Club, Peter Paul Development for their work on out of school time. This is the broadest cross-sector sort of partnership we've ever had towards focused on on children. Mm -hmm. uh, where the city is a partner as well. And also I'll put in Parks and Recreation as well. And and for that to come together, I, you don't really ever see anything like that ever happening at the city level. But we are glad that we drove 
uh, that sort of partnering around ensuring that kids get a high quality after school program once the bell rings, uh, the last bell rings after school. So uh, that would not have happened without people saying, you know what, we all do have separate interests and separate agendas, but the number one agenda is ensuring that a child gets a positive outcome at the end of the day. And we're working to leverage those relationships to ensure that we have maximum turnout for December 8th as well, because they directly work with and serve the kids that are in our school buildings every day. So in the last question, what is next for the education mayor and how can people help uh, support this effort going forward? Well, first is December 8th. That's coming up. Uh, I hope to see folks bright eyed and bushy tailed for that. That What's the time on the rally? 10 a.m. 10 a.m. So, yes, bright eye and bushy tail on a Saturday on December 8th. And, and wrapped warmly up. Wrapped warmly, yes, December 8th in <laughs> Richmond. Uh, the, we can actually uh, lend our voices to ensuring that we get more dollars for our, school, for our, for our schools, uh, for our students, for better schools and stronger students. Uh, that's coming up. Uh, the, the, the 29th, October 29th, we're going to talk more education as well. The superintendent will, will be there uh, giving an update on where we're on, on schools, school construction. We'll get an update on our review of the models, the budgeting models, uh, and we'll have a robust conversation about education funding. So be there or be squared. Uh, anything else? I got some work on the Children's Accord, which uh, nationally I've come together with other mayors from around the country, uh, led by Mayor uh, Jorge Alorza from uh, Providence, Rhode Island. He asked me to join the Children's Accord on how we do everything we can in our roles as mayors to ensure that kids get positive outcomes. We're going to be doing something in Austin in months to come as well to kind of roll that out of all these mayors coming together, focused on public education and ending the generational uh, poverty spend. You know, one thing we're also doing is One Book, One Richmond. So all 26 elementary schools will have one book. It's called Friendship According to Humphrey. You get to know about Humphrey, and you get to know about Og the Frog as well. So we hope that every child out there picks up that book and gets to know Humphrey a little bit better for One Book, One Richmond going on for the remainder of October. Um, anything else? I, I'm just off the top of my head. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a good off the top of your head. By 2020, <laughs> we were going to have expanded out of school time slots to over a thousand, by over a thousand to um, elementary and middle schoolers across the city. Uh, and that's a big piece of this. So we're looking to continue that expansion through the coming year. Um, we actually have a big announcement this afternoon that we're participating in around um, state grants that went to Peter Paul and Next Up RBA oh, to expand their making programming. Making some news. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, making some news this afternoon. Um, they're now... Peter Paul is now operating in Chimborazo and Bellevue Elementary Schools. Wow. Um, and next awesome. up has expanded Elkhart Thompson. So this oh, is cool. a this is part of this larger out of school time vision. And they were able to secure these state funds in part because we have this unifying vision for the city. So Perfect. more and more babies getting great opportunities, which is what's most important to us. Mm-hmm. We appreciate you coming always. You're always welcome to come back. Um, Eva, just, you can come too. Yeah. We love or, you or just Eva sometimes. I don't know. I was gonna say just Eva sometimes <laughs> and we'll fast. pick and know. we'll pick Eva. Okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring the baby. There we go. Bring Abram. Let's yeah. bring Abram. There we go. We didn't have cookies to test this time, but we <laughs> That was actually really <laughs> We did. Good. We did. But we we appreciate you coming and we just appreciate the hard work that you're doing. Um and we want to offer our congratulations for your success. Oh, thank ahead you. Ahead of time. Thank you. And because it's coming. What we should do. I'm just going to, we should do a dine out day or something like that where we, RVA Dirt is dining with us for, for our kids. So RVA, you know, change so like, for RVA like, schools. Look at that. Like what we do every day. Hashtag change <laughs> for RVA schools. But RVA Dirt's also in it, on it as well. How about we We're do good. that? That sounds fun. Okay. Yeah, that we sounds great. Get a mimosa or something like We've that. We've actually, RVA Dirt has actually got a, a happy hour coming up. 
Um, after election, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That could be an excellent moment for a little uh-huh. change for RVA schools. We're Hashtag change for RVA it. schools. Boogaloo's. Uh, Boogaloo's, oh, my favorite. Mm-hmm. Northside, Brooklyn. Yeah. Yep. So that's coming up, but we really appreciate you coming. Go we really appreciate you coming. We appreciate all the hard work you're doing. Eva, hashtag strong girl. Get it done. We love it. <laughs> so we hope to hear from you again soon, and you know we'll hear from us to get an update. That's right. We'll stay in touch. Do your all thing. Right. All right. Thank you, guys. This is Hashtag RVA Mayor LaVar Stoney, and you are listening to a very special Fun Drive episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. Hit the big red donate button on WRIR.org. Today we've been talking about education funding, and we have two people that are active in the uh movement for education funding both of who are teachers Woo-hoo. thank you all you guys could uh, introduce thank you yourself. for your service yes. to society <laughs> <laughs> i'm not often told that in airports but <laughs> that's okay <laughs> yeah but if you can introduce yourselves and like what your roles are and and within the movement if you call it that my name is sarah peterson i am a teacher in richmond city and i am an rea building rep my name is Cody Sigmund. I am an eighth grade English teacher in Chesterfield County and first vice president of the Chesterfield Education Association. Perfect. Well, thank you guys for coming thank on, you. especially for crossing over into the city. That's right. Yeah. Well, I actually live not too far away. Oh, perfect. Even, even you should just keep coming. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> right now, the, the Virginia Educators Association and a lot of the, the local organizations within that have been working towards creating, especially leveraging teachers in the movement for education funding. Can you guys talk about where are things at currently at the local level within Richmond and Chesterfield that everybody's doing and what's the focus going towards the end of the year? So the Virginia Education Association has been working you know, for years to try to bring more funding and better educational opportunities to students and, you know, more autonomy for teachers and better compensation, all that great stuff. And, you know, we're forever grateful as rank and file members of that organization for the work that they've been doing. The locals right now have been taking it upon themselves to start building at the rank and file level, which, you know, in other in other places that's called the grassroots level. So what that means is you've got people that are leaders in their buildings, but perhaps not on a board of directors, and they're talking to each other. And they're saying, listen, you know, in Richmond last year, we did a walk-in. We did district-wide walk-in. We had, uh, I think the last count was like 41 out of 44 schools. Wow. So check me on that, but like, (laughs) it's real close. And this year, we are thinking that instead of walking in, Perhaps we need to walk somewhere else, right? Perhaps we need to walk to the General Assembly because where we really need to hit our electeds is here in our own city. It's here in Richmond. They have been systematically defunding education across the board in the Commonwealth for a decade. Mm -hmm. They owe us $3.8 billion in education funding, right? That's That's a lot. That's a lot. I'm just saying, like, in the past years, that's how much they have defunded public ed and this far into the recovery we have not seen them make good on their commitments that a lot of electeds get voted in on to fight for that money 
right? So locals are taking it upon themselves because that's the only way to get this done. It's going to be people power. It's not going to be moneyed interest. It's not going to be lobbying firms. It's not going to be charities. It's going to be people, teachers, communities getting up off the couch, walking to their electeds, look them in the face and saying, listen, we're here and we want you to support our futures. We talk a lot about how we need regional support on a lot of issues, probably not just education. We can go into transit and a number of other things. So how is Chesterfield approaching this? I know from Richmond City's perspective, sometimes we can probably feel a little isolated or not in the same uh, place or spirit as especially Chesterfield and Henrico, right, to our neighbors. But how is Chesterfield approaching it in a similar light or is it a little different? Well, I think the first thing to understand is when you're talking about school funding, you're talking about, depending on the locality, very different tax structures, very different tax bases, and very different ways that those monies are diverted towards education. Um, In Chesterfield County, to my knowledge, all of our funding comes from property taxes, right? Some places might have a meals tax. We don't have one. My general understanding is, you know, I think across the state of Virginia, school board members, their private views are very much that we're not getting enough money from the state. Um, And so it's our goal to be organizing again at the school level where we can kind of get masses of people who are putting the pressure on. Because I think part of what we're talking about here when we're talking about teachers buying power decreasing, when we're talking about uh, funding not being restored to pre-recession levels, we're also talking about people who have left the profession or left to go to other um, higher paying fields. Capital One, I think, is taking a lot of our teachers. You know, maybe farmers insurance is taking some teachers. And I think think that something to think about there is think about the institutional knowledge that's gone. Think about all of the new teachers who are coming in and they're on probationary contracts where they're afraid to stand up and say anything. So I think part of what we have to be doing now statewide, you know, not just in Chesterfield but across the state, is to get people to, Sarah and I were talking about this, getting people to realize their own power, right? Getting people to realize educators and, and you know education support professionals are on the front lines and that we have a lot of knowledge and we should have a lot more say. Mm. Um, it seems like things are moving in that direction. That's the narrative nationwide, but certainly these things don't happen without asking. So that's our goal is to begin drumming up these efforts at the school level because We need this power to sort of trickle up, um, you know, into a larger, more unified voice. And it's not like we don't have the money, you know. Right now in state government, there's an $800 million surplus. (laughs) I mean. Help. (laughs) Help. (laughs) It's not like, you know, we're, we're holding our hands out and they're like, there's nothing at the store. Like, there's nothing that we can give you. And if we're not careful, if we don't stand up and ask for it for public education, it's gonna go to roads or it's gonna go to tax cuts. It's gonna go to corporations. One in three corporations in Virginia don't even pay income taxes. Um, I think that they don't need anything else to be trickled down. I think we need to be watering that which is already growing. And I, and I think something to, that's really important here is, I'm looking at numbers from 2016, but by my uh, analysis and from my research, um, Virginia, when you look at per pupil spending, the amount of spending that the state does per pupil is uh, 8% below the national average. So the average state is is contributing 8% more dollars per pupil than the state of Virginia is. 
Um, and Cody, what's an average state? An average state? Give uh, me an example of what the average state is. Uh, I'll go, um, let's see, an average state just below average is Montana. Yep. We are not average. Just above that, ab- above the average, surprisingly, actually, is Oklahoma. <laughs> I mean, I've got nothing but love for Oklahoma. What I'm trying to say is we are the ninth wealthiest state in the country. We're not an average state. Yeah. We're a rich state. Yeah, we shouldn't be considered average. Yeah. So what are the, some of the things like actions and events that you guys are putting together to help people realize the power that they have at the local level? Are there action items that are going on or days, things that people can individually do? Yeah. So um, the um, Virginia a- Educators United has a, a lovely month by month action plan, oh. um, something that we've been talking about in the Chesterfield Education Association. It'll go before our rep council on Tuesday is um, the October Action Plan, which is getting um, educators, education support professionals, parents, community members to come to the school and uh, decorate their cars in support of education, just making a positive, affirmative statement about uh, what schools and education means to them. So, you know, we've got lots of window chalk and um, hopefully we'll we'll be seeing a lot of um, our uh, message getting out there. And where that idea comes from is Arizona. For anyone that's not aware, Arizona staged a very similar series of actions wherein they drew on windows and they created an escalating campaign. And at the end of it, educators in Arizona got a 20% raise, right? Because 20% raise. Sorry, that was two zero. Two zero. Whoa. You know, one fifth. They, because the thing is when educators and communities fight together, they win together they gain victories together. And so just like Arizona decided that they were going to do these, you know, statewide walk-ins, they're going to do these window paintings, you know, it all leads to an escalating campaign where people are empowered to fight for their own futures. Do you guys feel, I think it's interesting, like some of the stuff where I know you guys are doing the um, Wear Red for Ed um, and a lot of social media presence and some of it just about like raising awareness of visibility, things like decorating cars. Is part of that I mean, Virginia is a right-to-work state, and there are things that if we were not a right-to-work state, that things like, I don't know, like strikes, <laughs> that would That's be available. That's the S word, y'all. She didn't say that. Um, <laughs> so mm-hmm. are, are some of the tactics that are having to be explored as far as like mobilizing a base a little bit more creative because it might or be challenging. or challenging because you like the labor union situation, like not a thing. <laughs> Okay, well, we have a labor union. I mean, yes, yes, but it's it's, it's a little bit, yeah. So the right to work, all right to work means is that someone gets a choice. Am I going to be a member of a union or not, right? In other states, you don't get that choice. You have to pay into your union. Whether your union is servicing you or not, you have to pay into it. It's a closed shop. Though that has been changed due to the Supreme Court. Although there's a recent Janus decision that says that everything is now not, there's no longer a closed shop. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So the basic idea of a right to work state is that you cannot be compelled to join a public sector union, right? Um, And so the idea is that you have to opt into a union, um, which, you know, can be a- It's a a, really good idea. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I think, you know, when we're talking about getting people to realize they're in power, that is the power of a union. Uh, But, you know, of course. Because one voice in the wilderness is not going to win victories for the collective. You need everyone to stand up and do it together. And even though this is a right-to-work state, not only are we a right-to-work state, and not only are strikes technically illegal, 
collective bargaining is illegal. We've got level upon level of Jim Crow restrictions on labor here in Virginia. What that means is that, yeah, we might need to be more creative. What we really need to be is more committed because we need for one person to stand up and literally everyone else to stand up behind them. It can't be one person filing a grievance or one mass grievance. We have to show what true solidarity looks like and what true unionism looks like because that's the only way to get it done. You know, uh, truth be told, West Virginia, Kentucky, Arizona, Oklahoma, North Carolina, those are all right-to-work states. They stood up and they made big wins for their communities and for their kids because they were brave and courageous. And when you're brave and you're courageous and you fight, you get what you're asking for, especially when your community stands with you. So speaking of community standing with you, how can legislators specifically and government officials help other than just obviously doing what we want them to do and passing laws, but as far as the like, right thing, right? Like how, how, how can they help and fit into this movement? Do you guys see? If you look at a map of Virginia, I think Ed Week did an analysis several years ago, but you can just look at what funding per pupil looks like in different parts of the state, right? And I think if I'm pulling numbers off the top of my head, but you've got counties in southwestern Virginia that were paying, you know, just over $8,000 per pupil. And then you can go to Manassas City Park and they're paying twice as much per pupil, right? These kids are still taking the same SOL tests. Mm -hmm. We're still expected to bring them up to the same standards. And yet we're spending so very different across the state. And I think part of it, you know, part of what I really want to see out of my legislators is for them to think about what spending needs to look like in order for it to be equitable, in order to actually provide an adequate education to every, you know, and I, and I think that adequate is, I hate that I even have to use that word instead of Right, because it should be like appropriate or, yeah, no, you're right. It should be superb. It yeah. should be a superb education. But we're struggling to get to adequacy. Yeah. Adequacy. And so I think, you know, my my big ask is for them to be thinking about why do these disparities exist? And I think they have done some thinking about this, but how do you fix that? How do you fix that funding-wise? It's very complicated, right? When you're taking into, into consideration cost of living and when you're taking into consideration what the infrastructure looks like, what the buildings look like, what the you know local economy looks like. But the fact of the matter is, we're not doing enough to make sure that every single zip code in this in this state provides an adequate or superb education. So going into like with what our legislators are doing, um, obviously if nobody, if you don't know this already, um, not you guys, but people out there, uh, I would hope that you guys would have the calendar in your hearts chiseled in. Um, <laughs> Tattooed. Yes. <laughs> that would be branded. I don't know. Right. The General Assembly starts session in January, and it's in February, and it's beginning of the year. It's part-time legislative in Virginia, branch in Virginia. So right now is really a time where everyone's probably like, why the heck are we talking about this? It's October, Jesse. I mean, feels a little bit like seeing Easter candy in October. Um, but oh. what people have to remember is like this is really the lobbying time to start setting the agenda mm -hmm. for the General Assembly. So is there a time coming up that's really the, the focus of your events that you would see like the cluster of the events around that people should be really paying attention for? Yes. So we are looking at, and again, it's an escalating campaign, right? So right now we're in October and we are working our way toward like our our peak is the end of January, which is right in the middle of those budget deliberations that are going to happen. January 28th is VEA Lobby Day. And so if we were going to make an ask of our communities, 
it's that as your educators are standing up, putting their jobs on the line, putting their livelihoods and their families' well-beings on the line for your families and their well-being, we need you to stand with us. And in January, we need you to walk with us. As we walk to the Capitol, as we walk to look those legislators in the face and say, this is important, we need you to be right by our side. So that's what we're working towards. We're working towards a day of action on January 28th, where the entire state comes together to say, no more. You need to support Virginia's kids. You need to provide superb education. So I want to be like the Debbie Downer. That's a Monday. Yeah. So rough. How how does that so how does that how does that look? I mean, I know um, as a Monday, people obviously can ask off for work, but everybody it's can a school ask day. Off. Well, it's a school day. So how how is VU and how are teachers handling? And this also partially is why the community really needs to support it too, is keep in mind, we kind of need kids to go to school unless the schools aren't going to be open or something. So um, Hypothetically speaking, I don't know. Spitballing for some elected officials. So this is actually something where the union infrastructure is very useful. At least in Chesterfield County, we have uh, a certain number of banked professional leave days that we're given by virtue of, of being... Um, being the educators union. And so, um, you know, in the past when I've participated in VEA Lobby Day, I've taken professional leave, which means it's taken out of that bank. It's different probably, I'm going to guess, uh, all across the state. Um, but, you know, uh, principals and school leaders and different Super people have, have professional leave days at their discretion. Um, you know, in, in, at least in my experience, people have seen the value of having an educator go up to uh, the Capitol and to be talking about their experiences and to be working on a pro-education agenda. Um, so I think it would be incumbent upon people who have the ability to cover our subs because otherwise, you know, uh, it would have to be out of, at least in my county, we get two personal leave days per year. Mm. So it'd be 50% of your personal leave to to go and uh okay so lobby. psa to anyone who's <laughs> registered as a sub we need you that day <laughs> <laughs> That's although right. there are other options north carolina just last year closed schools across the state uh and they all took their personal leave they didn't take professional leave they took one of those two days and they said you know what instead of you know saving this or banking this for a sick day in the future i'm going to use it to drive to my capital city and to advocate for my legislators to make a change. Enough people did that per district where those districts didn't have the staff and the superintendents closed schools. That's that collective action that unions have typically taken on. And that's why solidarity is so important because we need parents to understand, listen, no one's taking their personal day because they're going to the mall. No one's taking their personal yeah. day because they just don't feel like seeing your children We love in your the kids. Morning. We love your babies. So that's why much. we're out there in yeah. January, you know, yeah. Yeah. with nothing but cold in front of us. No one wants to go to their classroom on a Friday and turn off the light and think about how they're not going to be here for their kids on Monday. But we are willing to make those difficult decisions if it means a better future for those students. Yeah, Absolutely. So as we uh, wrap up here, what are the big takeaways? If there's three things that you want everyone to show up to or do. Well, the first one is every Wednesday, we need to see every single person that we put eyes on wearing red. And I don't mean like just on the street. I want to see every single person in my Twitter feed wearing red and posting about how public education has helped them or is important to them. Because that's what Red for Ed is. It's Red for Ed, the hashtag, 
Red, F-O-R-R-E-D, really is a public awareness movement for everyone to explain what it means to have strong public schools. And that can't just be wearing a red t-shirt. That means also putting your face on it and putting yourself out there in the Twitterverse, in the Facebook, Bookiverse, whatever else. For me, I think number two would be um, for every educator to be telling their story to whoever wants to hear it and not even people who want to hear it, people who need to hear it, right? Um, people should be talking to their school board reps. People should be talking to their board of supervisors, city councils, uh, any sort of decision makers about what life looks like in the classroom, what life looks like in the building, what they need, what their students need, uh, in order to really make it clear what the uh, deep prioritization of, of funding our schools looks like and feels like and how it impacts the education of Virginian school kids. And third is if you are a parent or a community member, please get involved with your local PTAs. Please get involved with your local schools. Not only is this going to you know, help your own child's education and help your own community, but by having strong parents, we can have a stronger movement. Teachers are just one part of a community. We're not the entire community. We're one part of this like you know, little safety net. We're not the entire thing. So we need you all to be with us and walk with us and join us. Well, thank you both for coming on today and for your work in fighting for more education funding for all of our students. Yes, thank you for your service to the community. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> that closes us out. Hashtag RPS schools are still not fully funded. Flint still has dirty water and Richmond's still sadly racist, but we're working on it. You can't blame the youth and you can't fool the youth. Cause what was eaten from the wise and the fruit is now revealed to the babes and the sucklings. What was eaten from the wise and the fruit is now revealed to the babes and the suckling. The Lord called upon Yeah.